0: Let's pray real quick, and uh, it's good to see you guys here, some new faces. Welcome to Refuge. We're glad you're here. Um, my name is Matt. We're walking through the book of Ephesians, and tonight we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians chapter 5, um, but let's pray really quickly and just pray that God would speak to our hearts through His Word. Let's do that. Father, it's so good to be able to call you Father. God, for so many years, people approached you in so many ways, but not as father. And God, we have the privilege now, if we are your children, to come to you as father, as Abba, as daddy. So God, I pray that tonight the truth would sink in, that you love us as a father. And because you love us as a father, God, we would be motivated to imitate our Father, not out of fear or not to seek approval from you, but simply because you love us and you demonstrated that love for us, that we would be massive imitators of you. That everyone that comes in contact with us would come in contact with you because we look just like you. So Father, tonight I pray as we delve into Ephesians 5 that you would allow um, me to communicate what it is that Paul was communicating, God, not to stick my own agenda in, but just what the scripture says and that God we as a people would receive it that where we need to repent we would repent and we would walk with you we would walk with you not for you but with you we love you Jesus and we pray all these things is in your name and all of God's people said hey take your Bibles go to Ephesians chapter 5 and a um, couple things while you're turning there um, we are uh, we're glad you're here if this is your first time in refuge I know some of you have been coming, some of you are new, um, some of you come back because you 're done with finals how many, how many people are done like one hundred percent done that's awesome that's a great feeling. Um, welcome to freedom um, We are walking through ephesians and we 're in a series called in and tonight we 're in Ephesians chapter five. now let me just give you a little disclaimer because you know how like they have those those commercials on TV and they give disclaimers for things like, hey, if you use this product, it may blow up in your face. That that guy says it really quick at the end um, that you don't catch. Let me just give you a disclaimer. And I'm not going to say it really quick. I'm going to actually tell you. Here's the thing tonight. Ephesians chapter 5 is Paul urging people to imitate God. Now, I'm going to tell you this tonight. Um, tonight may be a little heavy. Um, and, and if you don't ha- like what I say tonight, don't take issue with me. Just take issue with Jesus. Okay. So there we go. That's the disclaimer. Um, I'm just going to tell you what Paul says. I'm going to try to tell you as closely as I can, the way Paul said it. Okay. Is that cool? Is everybody cool with that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter five. Um, Let me just read it to you because um, we'll just kind of read through it and then we'll kind of go back and go through it. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named among you as it is improper among the saints. So let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immor- Im- immoral or impure or who is covetous, which is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as them, you walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore awake, O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one. I want to put a couple pieces of this puzzle together. Um, We talk a lot about the fact that the Bible is a story of God and it's not so much a manual for our life. We hear that sometimes growing up. The Bible is the manual for your life. The problem is I don't read the manual for my car a lot. So if I view the Bible as the manual for my life, that means this. I take the Bible off the shelf and I read it when I have a problem. The Bible is not the manual for your life. The Bible is a story of God. And what it does is it shows you and I how we fit into the story of God, which is a pretty awesome thing. Genesis chapter one is the beginning of this. And just a little FYI, um, we're like crazy planning here. Um, probably in August, we're going to start a series called Origins. And we're actually going to be in Genesis one, chap- chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three for about six weeks. So that's coming up. But a little, little preview of that. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Actually, back up to verse 26. This is God making things, right? And we all know the story that God made, the trees, he made the animals, he made all this stuff. But then he got to man and he said, I want to make man differently. And you actually hear a conversation between the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they begin to talk to one another and they say, we want to make something in our image. Pretty cool, huh? You get to hear a conversation between the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit say, let's make something in our image. So the Bible says this. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here's the deal. God creates us in his image. And we've talked about this before, but I want to come back to it because it really links with what we're going with tonight. That basically the word for tonight, and I want you to repeat it after me, is imitate. Everyone say imitate. That is where Paul's going tonight. But it goes back to Genesis because what Paul is saying is this whole thing has come full circle. You are created. Every person in this room, everybody you go to school with, every person on the face of the earth was created for one purpose, and that was to reflect the image of God. Even people who don't love Jesus or follow him, even people who are Buddhist, even people who are Muslim, even people who are atheists were made to reflect the image of God. And so basically what happens is we are made to reflect the image of God. And we are unlike any other creation that there is. The birds and the trees and the the plants and the mountains, nothing else has the stamp or the signature of God on it like we do. You reflect God. And even people who don't know Jesus or love Jesus still reflect Jesus. They still reflect God in some sense. That's crazy to think. Even the person that says there is no God still reflects the image of God because everybody bears the image of God. We would say this, everyone is an image bearer. In some way, everyone bears the image of God. But keep going in Genesis chapter three, there's a problem. Sin enters the picture, we're deceived and the image of God gets jacked up in us, right? It's not what it's supposed to be. And so now what we have is we have a whole race of people who are supposed to reflect the image of God. That's what we're supposed to do. But Romans 3.23 tells us this, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We haven't done what we were supposed to do. And we know this is wrong. We know that there's something jacked up. Deep in our souls, everyone knows life isn't going the way it's supposed to be going. Something's wrong. Something needs fixing. And it's because the image of God is skewed. It's an image, but it's not quite what God intended it to be. So Jesus enters the picture, and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I need to remember to turn this thing on. Just if you're wondering, we are podcasting now. You can get that on the the Bell Shoals Refuge website. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul kind of starts to put the pieces together for us, and we found this out a couple weeks ago. But you remember this. We were born dead are stillborn in our sins and our transgressions, our rebellion and our failures, we're dead. Jesus makes us alive. Now check out how Jesus makes us alive. Look at verses eight and nine. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody can boast. So it's not works. Works does not get you Jesus. Jesus steps into your life and says, okay, you can be mine. You're not worth anything right now, but you're worth something simply because I have called you my own. Apart from me, you have no merit. But Jesus comes in and gives us that. Okay? So it's not by works. But then Paul turns around and we remember this a couple weeks ago. He says in verse 10, look at verse 10. He says, um, For you or we are his workmanship, his poeme. The word there means poem. Well, he is crafting us like a poet crafts a poem with much thought. But then he goes on and says this Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Jesus says, You're not saved by works, but you're saved to works. So when you become a Christian, there's a change that happens. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is gonna make this point tonight that because we've been saved, That what Jesus has done is he's actually brought Genesis 1 full circle. We were supposed to reflect the image of God. That was messed up because of sin. But what Jesus does is he steps in, he redeems us, and he puts us back together. So that, look at Ephesians chapter 5, Paul will say this, that we now are to be imitators of God. It's all coming back full circle. To imitate is to reflect, to make known, to live out to be like something else. So here's what Paul says. He says, you're gonna imitate God. Look at verse one. Therefore, because of all the stuff we just said, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Now, my daughter Ava loves, uh, she loves Diego, Dora and Diego. Anybody ever watch Dora and Diego? Go, Diego, go. Um, I'm just glad it's not Barney now. I'm glad that's not cool because I think I would cut my heart out with a spoon. Um, That's a bad image. But, But basically, she loves Diego, and and we uh, I got her a little Diego doll, and the Diego doll has a rescue pack. It's orange, and it's got a little rescue patch uh, that goes on his vest, and he's got a little rescue vest. So she wants to be just like him. So the other day, she comes in, and we're getting ready, my wife and I, and she says, Mommy, I need a rescue pack. And we're like, no, we don't have a rescue pack. And, and she's like, no, I need one. Well, she's very persistent, and so she's like, rescue pack, rescue pack. We're like, we got to find a rescue pack, Right because she's going to drive us crazy. So we found her a little rescue pack, and it was not really a rescue pack. It was a backpack that we called a rescue pack. And we put it on her. It was black, and we said, it's a black rescue pack. And she's like, no, Diego's got an orange one. I need an orange one. And, and we basically said, no, that's the orange one's cousin. She was like, okay, I can go with that. So, so, she, so she's walking around with this, and she's like, I'm going to rescue animals. That's what she's saying all day long. So she's trying to rescue our cat problem is our cat doesn't want rescuing. And he's about to <laughs> kill her, right? She's chasing him around and he's like, <sighs> she wants to be just like Diego. Here's the deal. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. She wants to be just like Diego. So if Diego were a real person, he'd be very flattered at that point. We were at the mall a couple weeks ago and we were in a store that I don't have enough money to buy anything in any store in the mall like maybe a button, right? Be like, can I have a sleeve? And then I'll come back for the rest in 10 years when I'm 70. Um, We were at this store called Metro Park, super expensive. And yeah, I don't even deserve to breathe in there, right? So we walk in and I've got my daughter and we're walking around and she's like, daddy, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And so I sat her down for a second and I was looking at something. I'm like, why am I looking at this? I can't afford this, right? And then I turn around and she's gone. And I had one of those freak out dad moments, where I'm like, my daughter's gone and I lost her looking at a shirt, okay, that I can't afford. So then she comes back around the corner and I have like two hats that I wear. You may have seen me wear them before and she calls them my daddy hat. They're daddy hats. She comes back around the corner and she has somehow gotten a hold of a hat that looks similar to the hat that I wear and she has it on and she said, look, daddy, I'm you. Now that just made my heart melt because what I want more than anything is for my daughter to want to be like me. And when she wants to be like me, that makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing and that she loves me and I love her. My love doesn't change for her. It's always been the same. Here's what Paul says. He says, because of everything that Christ has done, imitate God. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, you can be an imitation or you can be a a misrepresentation, right? An imitation or a misrepresentation. But why do we imitate people? A lot of times we imitate people for a couple of reasons, not driven by love. The first reason is because we fear them. Sometimes we imitate people out of fear because we want them to like us because we're afraid if they don't like us, something bad will happen to us, like a boss or something like that. Or maybe even some of your parents, you try to imitate them only because you fear them or only because you fear something or somebody. But what Paul says is not that. He also says you don't imitate God out of seeking favor. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to a local high school, sit in the cafeteria and watch everyone try to imitate everyone else because they're seeking everyone else's favor. Man, in high school, I wanted to be that guy that sat at that table, that popular table, so to speak, those people that no one else likes, but somehow they got deemed as popular. I don't understand that. And so I would dress differently, and I would talk differently, and I would go different places, and I wanted to be just like those people. So I was imitating them, not because I loved them, or they even loved me, but because I wanted their favor. I was yearning for it. Paul says, you don't imitate God out of fear, because you're a child now. You don't imitate God because you're trying to gain His favor. You already have His favor. You're His child. You imitate God because you are His child. And just as a child who knows they are deeply loved... My daughter, I guarantee you this, she can never come to us someday and say, you never told us you loved us. Man, that girl better know she's loved. She knows that we love her. And just as a child that knows their father loves them would want to imitate their father. Now, here's what I know. I know that this illustration breaks down for some of us. I know that. Because some of us in this room come from really messed up homes and your dad wasn't involved in your life or you don't know who your dad is. And so this begins to break down. But God is a father of the fatherless. And so here's what Paul says, imitate God as a dearly beloved child, not out of fear or not to seek his approval, but simply because you're already loved deeply by God. So imitate him. But then what he does is he goes into what it looks like not to imitate God. And that's what we're going to spend a couple minutes kind of breaking down here. What does it look like not to imitate God? Well, check this out. He lists a couple things. He says, look at verse, um, look at verse three, but sexual immorality And all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as as it is not proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. So Paul kind of goes through this list of things. Now, here's the deal. We're going to walk through this list for a second. And what I don't want you to think tonight is that to imitate God means I have to do a laundry list of things and not do a laundry list of things. That becomes very legalistic. That's how some of you live your Christian life. You've got to understand the why behind the what. The why is because I'm deeply loved by God. But the what is this. He says, first of all, don't let sexual immorality be in your life. The word he uses here is porneo. Porneo is like, do you have that? Most of you probably have this. You have the, this junk drawer at your house where everything kind of goes in it. You know what I'm talking about? Or even in your car. Some of your, your cars are just a big junk drawer. Um <laughs> where you just throw stuff in there. But everyone kind of has this junk drawer where just stuff goes in it. And if you can't find something, look in the junk drawer. Porneo is the junk drawer of words used for sexual immorality in the Bible. It means everything. Okay, follow me. It means pornography. It means sex outside of marriage. It means strip clubs. It means anything that you are doing with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you know is impure and it doesn't honor God. Anything. He says, let there not be any sexual immorality named among you, even a hint of sexual immorality. So here's what that also means. That also means cohabitation. Some people say to me, well, I live with my bo- girlfriend and boyfriend, but we don't do nothing. I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. It also means this. It also means, check this. It also means that when you're with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're not asking how far can I go before I've hit the line. I can't tell you how many people have asked me that. How far is too far? All that does is reveal a heart issue. That's the question of a Pharisee and a legalist. The question of a Pharisee and a legalist is always, how far can I get to the line before I've sinned and broken God's heart or he's mad at me? That's the question of a Pharisee because all you're concerned with are the rules. The question of someone who deeply loves God and wants to imitate him is how close can I get to the heart of God? Not how far can I get to the line? How close can I get to the heart of God? Let there be no porneo named among you because it doesn't imitate the father. When I lived in Houston, I went to Houston Baptist University and our campus was in the ghetto, right? Um, In the ghetto, that song. Yeah, that was us. we had a, we had a fence around us and basically our campus was amazing. It was like a little garden of Eden in the middle of the ghetto, but there was this big fence that, which communicated to our community something, Don't come near us, right? We're a bunch of Bible students who want to have nothing to do with you. Um, So basically, we would drive to to and from work and there was this strip club that was right next to our campus. And I don't remember what it was called or anything like that, but I remember there was a sign that was continually up there. And here's what the sign said. It said, girls, which we all know what that means, girls, beer, and steak. And it's called a gentleman's club. Now, I used to drive by that thinking, okay, so those guys in there are gentlemen, then are we all like Neanderthals out here? What's the deal, right? (laughs) Girls, beer, and steak. So you got a guy in there objectifying some girl that is someone's daughter or someone's wife or someone's whatever, and then you've got guys drinking beer and guys eating steak, right? That doesn't sound like a good combo to me. But here's the deal. Our culture is enamored in sexual immorality, And a guy named J.I. Packer, who wrote a book called Knowing God, pretty awesome book, you should read it. He said this, in times past, Satan has had many tools by which to fight the church. Now he has one. It's called sexual immorality. It's called porneo. Can I tell you how many people I know that are no longer in ministry because they became prideful and said, I'll never go there. Some of you in this room, I'm gonna be really honest with you. Some of you in this room tonight are struggling with pornography and you're a Christ follower. Some of you in this room tonight are dating people and you're in an improper relationship. Some of you are having sex outside of marriage. And here's what Paul says. He says, it should not be named among you because it doesn't imitate your father. It doesn't imitate your father. He moves on and says this, check this out. He says, uh, he gets a little broader and he says this. He says, and all impurity or covetousness. Impurity basically is defilement. He kind of gets a little bit broader from sexual immorality and he says, all defilement. So basically he's saying anything that would defile you. There's a story about a guy named Chris Hertz. He was a missionary in India. He worked in Calcutta, India, where uh, Mother Teresa had her house of the dying. Mother Teresa's House of the Dying, I don't know what you know about Mother Teresa's House of the Dying, but the House of the Dying, their ministry was to go out on the streets of Calcutta where people were dying from tuberculosis and HIV AIDS and all kinds of bad stuff and bring them in, not to heal them because they're beyond healing. Oh yeah, leprosy too. And basically give them a place where they can die with some dignity. So they would bring them in. And Chris's job was to go find dying people and say, I wanna give you a place where you can die with dignity. He would bring them in, he would shave their heads, he would give them bath and they would give them food and all the stuff so that they could have a place and die with some dignity. So in the story, it goes like this. Chris said, I hated to take out the trash. It was the worst job of all the jobs you could have at the house of the dying. Because he said, the first time I ever took out the trash that I went out there, I had this trash. And now here's the deal. You've got food that dying people that have HIV, AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis have picked over and it has death in it. You've got needles that guys who have leprosy have shared. You say, why would they share a needle? Because leprosy is a poison that spreads through your skin. And if you can suck the poison out with a needle, then you keep it from spreading and you can keep it at bay for a while. So they would share the needle because they're already infected. It doesn't matter. They're just trying to get the poison out. So they would pull the poison out with this needle and they would share a needle. So it was this needle that was infected. The garbage was full of this stuff. And he said, he took it out one night and he threw it over into the dumpster. And here's what happened. Because Calcutta, India is one of the poorest cities on the face of the earth. There was hundreds of people, he said, that came out like rats. And they dove into the dumpster and they took out the trash and they tore it open and they began to eat what was in the trash. He said, don't eat that, that's death. They didn't listen. That typifies Christians, especially in America, because we have a table that we can sit at and it's called the Lord's and it's a banqueting table and he offers us all this amazing stuff, but we go, no, I don't wanna be a part of that. I'd rather go over here and feast and be defiled. Here's what Paul says. He says, don't defile yourself. Jesus did not die on the cross so you can continue to defile yourself. Follow me? He didn't. But let me go here. This may not be popular, but I'm gonna go here. We defile ourselves sometimes by the things we watch and the things we listen to. My wife and I used to watch, I'm just gonna use this as an example. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch this show. I'm just saying this is us. My wife and I used to watch Grey's Anatomy and we loved it, couldn't miss it. But what we started to realize was it was getting progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. And what I realized one night was, number one, I wouldn't sit here and watch this with my daughter. I wouldn't encourage her to watch it. And it made a mockery of what Jesus Christ died for on the cross. So sometimes we make entertainment what Jesus died for. And in doing so, we defile ourselves. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm I'm the guy that's not watched anything. I'm going to tell you, man, I've seen some stuff. I've watched some stuff. But we have to get to a point to where we're not so desensitized that we can watch something and laugh at it because Jesus died for that. That's what Paul's saying. Don't allow impurity into your life and let it be a mockery among God's people. He goes on and says this. He says covetousness, which is basically sensual greed. And he basically is saying this. Don't be a part of the the system that we live in. We have an economic system that is basically built on greed. People know that you are greedy and that I am greedy. And so they're going to basically throw things out there for you to buy. We buy things that we don't have the money for. It's called credit. We buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like with money we don't have. Amen? Amen? Right? How many of you have credit card debt at all? Raise your hand. Oh my God, some of you like, we're only in our 20s here, right? We're already like in debt, right? Here's what Paul's saying. Do not buy into the fact that we have to have this stuff because if we get into this rote routine, here's what happens. And I hear these conversations between Christians sometimes and it blows my mind. And we don't even realize what we're saying, but something goes like this and I've talked like this before, so I'm not the guy up here trying to be all self-righteous, but I've got the iPod generation 10, whatever. But they just came out with a new iPod generation 15 and I've got to have it. I I mean, I got to have it. I got to have the flat screen TV and I got to have the TiVo because good Lord, I have to watch something and be able to tape something else at the same time. I got to have it. We sound like the culture. We sound like basically Jesus is insufficient to fulfill us. When people hear us talking, they think, those Christians, they're just like us. They're as greedy as we are. And our whole economic system, by the way, is crashing because of greed. And sometimes we're just like them. When I live my life to gain and gain and gain and gain, the problem is those people think it fulfills them, it doesn't fulfill them because if it fulfilled them, they wouldn't need generation 15 iPod. They would be happy with what they have, but we're never happy with what we have. And here's what Paul says. If we live a greedy lifestyle, it doesn't make much of the king because it says the king's insufficient. I'm not saying having stuff is bad. I like to have stuff. And I'll be honest with you. This is where I struggle the most. The most I struggle because I see things and I want gadgets and I want clothes and I want cars. But here's what our culture says. I have a house, but it's not big enough. I need a bigger house. I have a car, but it's not nice enough. I need a, a nicer car. I have these clothes, but they're not cool enough. There's something else new. I need newer clothes. It never ends. And for us to buy into that is to make little of Jesus. If he's sufficient for us and we really believe that and we sing that, to buy into that is to make little of Jesus. Jesus. He goes on and says this, he says, not only greed, but then check this out. He moves into verse four and he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He's basically saying this and we kind of hit on it last week. He's saying your mouth is an instrument of righteousness, but sometimes we use it as an instrument of sin. Let there be no crude talk, but also let there be no empty talk, which means this empty vain conversation that anytime we get together, the purpose why we get together is to encourage one another. And I'll be really honest with you. When I go to coffee with somebody or I wanna hang out with somebody, if I'm gonna spend an hour talking to somebody, I want to spend an hour with somebody who's gonna talk to me about what God is doing in their life and encourage me to continue living for God. Because later Paul's gonna say, the days are short and the time is evil and you don't have time to waste. (laughs) So there's not time for vain or empty or crude talk. All of these things misrepresent God, but check this out. Paul goes on and he says something that's really interesting and, and he gets kind of blunt here. Look at verse look at verse eight. actually, back up to verse uh, verse five, I'm sorry. For you may be sure of this: that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, who is covetous, which is idolatry has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So he basically sums all of this up. And he says, all of this sexual immorality and this covetousness and this greed and all this stuff that we just talked about, it all encompasses in this one word, idolatry. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. Even atheists worship something. The opposite of Christianity is not that there is no God. The opposite of Christianity is worshiping the wrong God. Atheists worship themselves. We're all created to worship, so we all worship something, and typically, our default is to worship us. So here's what Paul says. To live sexually immoral, to live as greedy, to live as someone who just uses their mouth however they want to, that is to worship self because you're living your life for you. Immediate gain, immediate gain, immediate gain. You, 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 not him, 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 him. And what Paul says is this, if you can live a life of habitual sexual immorality, of habitual greed, of habitual using your mouth to hurt others and talk bad about others, if you can live your life habitually on and on and on and on in habitual, unrepentant sin, then you're not a part of the kingdom. That's what he says. If you can live a life of habitual sin, John says it like this in 1 John. He says, anyone who has been born of God will no longer sin. Now, I used to read that verse and be like, I have problems because I think I'm born of God. I've been born from above. I've been born again, so to speak, but I still mess up. Here's what John and Paul are not saying. They're not saying you will be perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect in here. You didn't sin at all today. I should have my hand down. All of us have sinned. We all continue to sin, but Jesus is making us look more like him. But here's what Paul's saying. Anyone who has habitual sin in their life that goes unrepented of probably is not a member of the kingdom of God, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So here's what we have to get at. If I have unrepentant sin in my life, then I need to start examining myself. The scriptures say, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. If I have unrepentant sin in my life, it doesn't matter. Hear me and hear me well. It does not matter if you have prayed a prayer fifteen times and walked an aisle twenty times and been baptized twenty million times. You do not know God. Now that seems kind of crash, but that is what Paul is saying. Don't be deceived. Check this out. He goes on and continues that thought in the next verse. He says, <clears throat> verse 8, verse 6, I'm sorry. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here's what Paul is saying in essence. He's saying there's a difference between struggling with sexual immorality but repenting of it and struggling with greed but repenting of it. But if you can continue in sexual immorality, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, looking at pornography on the computer and not caring about it, if you can continue going to the strip club, going to the parties, doing whatever it is that you do, if you can continue in the greed and not be repentant, here's the problem. You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's your spirit living for yourself. And then he says, "Let nobody deceive you." This is really interesting because here's what's happened in North American Christianity and churches in North America basically is this is there's a bunch of people who have prayed prayers and walked aisles but never repented to follow Jesus. That's really scary. That's really scary. And then what happens is someone becomes a little bit older and they start to realize, maybe I don't know Jesus. Maybe I have habitual sin in my life because I've never trusted Christ. I don't have the spirit of God living in me. So they go to somebody who's a leader and that somebody says to them, no, so-and-so, you prayed to receive Christ. Do you remember that? And they pat them on the back and they give them false assurance and they walk away. And they will never, ever be able to overcome that sin because they don't have the spirit of God living in them. What Paul is saying is not make a checklist to live by. He's saying, basically, repent if you're a believer. And if you have unrepentant sin in your life that you cannot control, it's because you're not a part of the kingdom. It's because you're not a part of the kingdom. Some of us in this room may have unrepentant sin in our life that we live out habitually. And you've rededicated, rededicated, rededicated. And what you really need to do is repent and follow Jesus. And that sounds really hard, but that's what Paul's saying. He says, if you're living this way habitually, then there's a good chance maybe you don't have an inheritance in this kingdom. Because if you had the spirit of God living in you, it's not very long before you'll stop and go, I can't live this way anymore. Pastor Rummage said this on Sunday, the most miserable people in Brandon are Christians who are not living for the glory of God and live in unrepentant sin. If you are a Christian and you live in unrepentant sin, you'll be miserable, miserable, miserable. And finally, you will fall on your knees and repent. But the person who can do sin habitually and relish in it and like it and love it probably doesn't have the spirit of God living in them. That's what Paul says. He goes on, he says this. He says, if you want to live and imitate Christ, there's a couple things you can do. Check out verse three. Jump back up to verse three. He says this. He says, um, verse, verse four, I'm sorry. He says, but instead of foolish talk and filthy language, let there be thanksgiving. He says, live in a constant state of thanksgiving. What does living in this constant state of thanksgiving do to make me imitate God more? Because if I'm continually thankful for what Jesus has done for me, that he's redeemed me and ransomed me and saved me and adopted me, and I'm always thinking about that or preaching the gospel to myself like we talked about a couple weeks ago, then I've always got that on my mind that I will never be tempted or I'll be tempted, but I will never stray. If I'm continually thankful, which is really difficult to do at times, but if I'm always meditating on, always thinking about the cross, then it's gonna be harder for me to walk away. It's gonna be harder for me to wander. It's gonna be harder for me to be tempted to go, you know what? This sexual immorality looks a whole lot better than Jesus. This stuff looks a whole lot better than Jesus. So he says, first of all, be thankful for what God's done and you will begin to imitate him because you're grateful. Not out of fear or seeking approval, but because you're grateful. But then he goes on and says something else. He says, not only to imitate, you've got to be thankful. But then he says, um, live as a child of light. Look down at a couple of verses here in verse seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So here's what Paul says. He basically says, know who you are and live as that. He says, if you're in Christ, now, if you're not in Christ, there's something totally different going on. But if you're in Christ, he says, you used to be darkness, not you were in darkness. Check this out. Big difference. But you were darkness. The whole essence of who you were was darkness. What you produced out of your life was darkness. Everything that came out of you was just dark. But now he says, you've been moved by Jesus and you are light now. Not you're in the light. He actually says, you are light. Now, check this out. Darkness can never overtake light. If we had all the lights up in this room, darkness could not come in. The only way darkness comes in is when we shut the lights out. But light can overtake darkness. If there's a room that's totally dark and I stick a candle in it, light begins to overtake it and illuminate it. So here's what he says. He says, live as children of light. But then he continues on. Look at the next verses here. He says, live as children of light. And in verse, uh, he continues on, he says this, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, those who are in the darkness or that are darkness. So here's what he's saying. He says, expose them. So when we live as children of light, what we actually do imitating the father is we expose the deeds of darkness. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. It doesn't mean that we take our Bible and we beat people over the heads with it. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we look for people to basically be prophets over. Some of us in this room have different spiritual gifts. Uh, Some of you are prophets and you like to call people out. That's okay, we need you, right? Some of you are mercy people, right? And some of you are kind of behind the scenes people or compassion people. For you prophet people, this is really cool verse because you're like, sweet, I get to go expose the deeds of darkness. And you're like looking for people, right? Like a heat seeking missile. Who can I expose, right? You're like, I got somebody, boom. That's not what Paul's talking about. He says, as you live your life as a child of light, because you are light, anywhere you go, the light dispels the darkness. So what happens is as you live your life and you imitate the father and you are light, you're exposing darkness. So that means this, your family and your friends who are are darkness still, as you are around them, they begin to realize that there's another way to do life. They begin to realize that this Christianity thing that you have may be the answer to fix what they feel is really jacked up inside of them. And you begin to expose to them the fact that they are darkness. That's what Paul's saying. He says, live as a child of light. But then he also says this, live with a sense of urgency. Check out, he continues on and he says this. He says, anything that's exposed by light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Here's what Paul is saying. Live with a sense of urgency. Wake up. I think, this is my humble opinion, but I think I'm right. For the most part, the church in North America is asleep. We have fallen asleep at the wheel. You ever notice when you're walking through a parking lot, Or maybe you're even sitting in your home and you hear a car alarm going off. Nobody does anything, do they? If I'm walking through a parking lot and I hear, I may, I may, right? If I'm not feeling lazy that day, look over my shoulder just to make sure it's not my car. But once I've done that, I got stuff to do. Like when car alarms first came out and you would hear a car alarm, everybody'd be like, what's up? What's up? Where's the guy? I'm going to get him. You know, not anymore. Not anymore. There was no sense of urgency anymore. And here's what I think. I think that there's an alarm going off and the church is being rallied to do something in the world and we're asleep. And Paul says, wake up. Wake up because the days are short, the time is short and you don't have a lot of time to imitate your father. Wake up. It makes me take stock of what I spend my time doing. What is my life about? If I've got so many years, I got about maybe 70 years here, maybe. I wanna use those to imitate the father every single second. Wake up. The great thing about your generation, and I can say your generation because I'm, I'm kind of almost out of it, is I, I think that you are beginning to wake up the church. And I appreciate that. That you just don't wanna do church, you wanna be the church. You just don't want to talk about doing ministry. You actually want to get your hands and your feet dirty doing ministry. Here's the last thing Paul says, though. He says, not just live with urgency, but check this out. And this is how it all comes together. Look at verse 17, and then we're done. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, lastly, he says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Now, this isn't necessarily a commentary on whether or not we should drink, but it is this. He definitely says, being drunk is a sin. So let's just throw that out there. Being drunk is a sin. Done. Okay. End of story. We don't need to discuss that. It's sin, right? You being a little bit tipsy, sin. And here's how I know that. Because what Paul is saying is he's not just saying, don't be drunk with wine. He's actually making a point. He's saying anything, anything whatsoever that controls you, whether it be greed or materialism or food, whatever can control you, don't let it control you. You are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's how this whole thing works. He ends it with this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually that word filled is a word that simply means give up, give control to the Holy Spirit. That's a daily thing. Every day I gotta wake up and go, Holy Spirit, I'm yours, take me, whatever you wanna do, do. And be filled with him. It's a word that also means continual, not a one-time thing. We are in the spirit of Christ. We have the spirit of God in us when we get saved. That's a one-time thing. You don't need to be baptized in the spirit again. Again, You don't have to speak in tongues numerous times to get the spirit again. That's totally not biblical. But what the Bible does say is you need continued fillings, which means this. Every day I need to get up and say, I'm yours, so that I will imitate the Father. Because on my own power, I don't imitate the Father. I don't. I imitate me. I show people me and I'm lazy and I'm not urgent and I think about me and I'm consumeristic and I'm greedy and I have a tendency to be sexually immoral but if I'm filled with the Spirit all of that stuff is pushed to the side and the imitation of the Father is what is focused. I'm going to ask Ben to come back up here in a second. He's going to lead us in some more worship. I want to ask you a couple questions tonight and I want to be really honest with you tonight. Um, Number one, do you have unrepentant sin in your life? I don't, I don't really know any other way to ask it to be cool, so I'm just going to ask it like that. <clears throat> Do you have unrepentant sin in your life? Sexual immorality? Pornography? Sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Trying to get all the way up to the line like God doesn't care about that? Do you have sexual immorality in your life? Do you have greed in your life? You're driven by greed. You spend money that you don't have so that you can impress people with the stuff that you have or you're filling some void by being greedy. Do you have unrepentant sin in your life? If you're a believer tonight, here's what Paul's gonna say. Repent. Really simple. Don't do it anymore. Stop and do something else. Imitate Christ. If you're not a believer in here tonight, here's some ways to maybe know that. Just be honest with you. If you have habitual lifestyle of unrepentant sin, you may need to begin asking yourself tonight, do I really know Jesus? Not do you go to church or are you religious, but do you really know Jesus? And here's the thing. My heartbeat is this, is that people would not follow religion anymore. I hate religion. I hate it. It's got a grip on people's lives. There's people that walk around thinking they know Jesus and they're just religious and they have habitual unrepentant sin and they don't know why, because you don't know Jesus. I'm not talking about religion or praying some mamsy-pamsy prayer or walking an aisle or filling out a card. I'm not against those things, done all of those things. But if you never repented in the process of all that, you're not biblically saved. The Bible says repent and follow Jesus. Repentance is huge, but what's crazy is no one really ever talks about it anymore. But it's really hard to come to Jesus without repenting because it means I put off myself Put on Christ. I don't really know why, but I have a feeling that maybe someone in here tonight, or maybe some ones, need Christ. You don't need more religion, more songs, more meetings, more Bible studies. You need Christ. You need Christ. He's the one that makes it possible for you to imitate the Father. Without Christ, this is all legalism, it's a checklist. It's me trying to not be sexually immoral or me trying not to be greedy. And in the end, that fails. I need Christ because he makes me look like the father. He makes me look like the father. Tonight, I want to give you uh, an opportunity. I don't do this a lot, but I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ tonight. If there's someone in this room that needs to receive Christ, like genuinely, i give you an opportunity to cry out to him. The scripture says those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. That means saved from ourselves, saved from our sin, saved from death and made alive tonight you can do that and some others of us in this room maybe that are walking with Jesus but we just have unrepentant sin you just need to repent tonight and maybe you need to when Ben's playing we're going to sing a song called give us clean hands give us pure hearts of God let us not lift our souls to another maybe you just need to make your chair an altar or maybe this place up here an altar this is not any more special carpet than your carpet Sometimes we just build altars to God because it communicates our seriousness with Him. All throughout the Bible, people built altars to God. So I'm going to pray for us. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Tonight, I hope you hear my heart. I don't want us to be deceived by empty words. That we can continue on like everything is okay when for some of us everything's not okay. Some of us tonight need Christ. We need to repent and follow him. Put off our religion and put on Christ. Some of us who are Christ followers, we haven't been imitating very well and we need to repent and imitate the Father because he loves us so. He loves us so. If you're in here tonight, I'm going to be very specific for a second. If you're in here tonight and you you would say, you know what? I don't know that I've ever had a genuine experience of salvation I've never repented to follow Jesus I am want to give you the opportunity where you're sitting to cry out to God and to repent you can say something like this I'm not going to lead you in some rope prayer but Father I've sinned against you and I want to repent of my sin Jesus and follow you I want to be your child I want to imitate you with my life because of your cross and because of your resurrection Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. If, that, if that's something you need to say or something like that to repent tonight, just give you a second to do that. Some of you may already be crying out to God. say this if if you prayed to repent and receive Christ tonight like for real a couple things I'm available I would love to talk to you if you came with a friend tonight and that friend is a Christ follower and you know that talk to them tell them tell somebody before you leave this place tonight because that's huge that is huge the rest of us in this room that are Jesus followers which is many of us most of us maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place and there's some stuff in your life and catch this even the stuff that's hidden that nobody knows about it still is a misrepresentation of the Father hidden sin hidden sexual sin hidden greed is still a misrepresentation so tonight the call to action is repentance repentance and then being filled with the Spirit so we can imitate the Father because the days are short we don't have a lot of time. We need urgency. We need to wake up. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and Ben's just going to lead us. And if you feel led, you need to come to this altar and just pray. You want to pray with one another, make your chair an altar, just do business with God. This is a place of refuge, a place where you can be real and honest and do business with God. So I'm going to pray for you. And then Ben's going to lead us. If you can sing or you can pray or whatever you need to do. But feel the freedom to do whatever you need to do. God. I thank you for your word. I thank you that Paul, who wrote this so many years ago, it's still so relevant to us today. God, it nails us right where we are. It's crazy to me that he knew, that your spirit knew that we would be walking through these things. God, I pray tonight for believers in this place that just need to repent so they can look more like you and imitate you better. Because the days are short. The days are evil. And we don't have time. We don't have time to misrepresent you. God, I pray for brokenness tonight. I pray that you would ruin us. I pray that you would bring us to places of truth with ourselves and with you, and maybe even with others. You'd bring us to places of repentance. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You do whatever you.